Okay. Look, at least I got sunny slides for you this morning. All right, so we'll go back to that. All right, so this is really tough. All right, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And remember, we talked about this letter can be broken up into three separate parts. The first chapter was really encouragement. This church has been going through um, battles, super hard persecution, intense persecution. The word that's actually used to describe it is crushing. And the idea is like a, a continual pressure, like an elephant on your chest. That was, that's how it's described. Chapter 2 where we are this morning, Paul is clarifying some things about the second coming of Christ. Remember, he wrote quite a bit about that in the first letter, wrote about the rapture of the church. Um, But primarily here, the persecution was so strong that they started to believe that they may have missed the rapture and that they were in the great tribulation. You guys remember one of the questions that was asked um, from the first letter is, what happens if a Christian were to die before Jesus came back, because they were living with anticipation um, and excitement, waiting for Jesus to come back, but then he didn't come back immediately, and some Christians died, and and they didn't know what happens. So that was one of the first questions that Paul answered, and now things had gotten so bad, and Paul had told them that they weren't appointed unto wrath, they were appointed to love, they were appointed to salvation, Um, So they thought maybe, just maybe, they had missed it. They had missed the kingdom. And third and final chapter, Paul deals with some closing issues in this letter and primarily to those Christians that were so focused on the imminent return of Christ, they just put everything on hold. They stopped working and basically began sponging off the church and others, and Paul kind of puts the smack down on them. So this cold, hard morning that we have here. Um, You guys know that there's a day coming when there is no more pain, right? That there's a day coming when there's no more frozen pipes and no more feels-like temperatures. We've all been looking at those for the last few days. No anxiety, no disappointment, no more aches and pains perfect bodies, perfect fellowship. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come again and receive you to myself. He says, that where I am, there you may be also. That is what every born-again believer in Jesus Christ has to look forward to. So let's dig into this chapter. Verse 1 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, You're going to have to work on man. Um, Either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless 
the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was with, still with you, I told you these things? So let's pray. Father, Lord, as, uh, we read these things. These are uh, difficult things. I understand Paul wrote this passage for clarity. But Lord, it was a different time and a different place. And he had recently been with them and, and covered these things. So Lord, would you give us understanding of these same things today? Lord, help me as I try to explain that um, the, the words that come out of my mouth would be from you, Lord, and, and not, not mine, not any agenda. Uh, but they would, we would uh, have understanding of what it is that you'd say to us, Lord, and, and why it should matter in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've talked about this some in the past, but when I was a kid, the return of Jesus was a topic of frequent conversation. Oftentimes, uh, more in a threatening kind of way. Uh, like, you know Jesus could come back at any time, don't you, Brian? You, do you really want Jesus to see your room like this? Or uh, do you want Jesus to catch you watching Saturday Night Live? Or what do you think's gonna happen if Jesus comes back and you're out drinking with your friends? Um, just say no to drugs took on a whole new level of fear, right? There was no way, it, it, not worried about police or ruining for future career opportunities, but there was no way I was going to get high and not be able to fly with Jesus or, or go. Ugh. Someone need to get anointed today. Then college came, and, and um, after college, mid-90s, some of you guys might remember a series of books that came out, Left Behind series. Uh, the first one was the best after that. Um, then they came out with movies, and I don't know if you guys read any of those or were familiar with any of those or saw any of those, but the basic premise or the idea was portraying the scene that cars and trucks would suddenly be without drivers and crash into each other in intersections. And um, airplanes would be falling from the skies because, you know, most pilots are Christians, I guess. Actually, they all are in this church, that, right? So I guess that makes sense. But uh, this cataclysmic thing happens in the world. And there was such a level of expectation of Jesus' imminent return that there was actually this big elaborate pranks pulled to make people think that they missed the rapture. Not, not really that funny. Uh, youth groups would stage these events to uh, dramatize what it would be like to be left behind. Anybody remember any of that stuff? Anybody seen any of that in recent years? Yeah, not a lot. One. So things have changed in this sudden level of expectation of Jesus's return has dissipated and we get to the turn of the century we get into the 2000s and even within the study of theology things seem to have focused 
shifted away from the study of God and more on the church and the purpose of the church and the mission of the church and then the modernization of the church and what was good, what was bad, what did the people want? Um, Church by popular opinion became kind of the name of the game and everyone wanted to be as seeker-friendly as they could be. And secular ideas began to dominate the church and truth was misplaced by talent. And somewhere in that, the people stopped looking forward with expectation to the return of Jesus. There did somewhere in there also rise up this like internet fascination of discovering who the Antichrist was and naming names and could it be this guy and um, some of you older folks might remember uh, Nikolai Gorbachev and the mark on his head and, and what could that be and all of that, but different um, stars or political leaders or up-and-comers at different times were identified as maybes. So there's important reasons why Paul tells us that he doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. He wants us to have knowledge about the expectation and return of Jesus Christ. So one major thing, one major reason why we shouldn't be ignorant of the things to come is we are, as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, actually commanded to comfort one another with these things. That we should be talking about these things. These words should be on our lips. And when people are anxious and people fear the unknown, Information helps. Truth helps. Making known the unknown really, really helps. So there's actually a twofold reason on why there's value in being able to articulate and understand God's future plans for the culmination of um, human history, or what theologians call eschatology. So the first is that we must have an understanding of the events to come in order that they can be on our lips and spoken of frequently so as to bring comfort to one another. The second reason why knowledge here has value is so that we won't personally be shook or or fear if we're living in those days or fear of the things to come. Such was the case with the Thessalonians. This is why Paul wrote the second letter. So again, First couple of verses here. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So I I can't even tell you the number of different commentaries. I read and Bible expositors and, and listened to different teachers regarding this message. And, and for a chapter that was specifically written to clear up some confusion, you would be amazed at what different men say that he's talking about here. So I'm going to do my best to tell you what I, I truly believe what it is that he's saying. In verse 1, I want you to see how this is worded. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. 
Okay, so Paul is concerned about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. And I believe that Paul's talking about two different aspects of Jesus' second coming. The first being the rapture of the church. When our Lord comes back and we who are alive and remain, as he says in First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, shall be caught up together, the harpazo, with, him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And listen, I've, I've made it clear, I believe this church teaches in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you don't believe that, that's okay. You know, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and have differences on those things. You know, there's, there's uh, professors and great Bible teachers that believe that that event, everybody agrees that that event will happen, but some believe that that'll happen midway through the Great Tribulation, and some believe that it'll happen at the end. Um, I've, I've been wrong before. I'm just not wrong on this. But um, we'll see, right? We will see. But he, the first is being the rapture of the church, whenever that happens. The second coming, or the second phase of his coming, being at the end of the great tribulation period, when he comes back with the church to set up his kingdom on earth for a period of time, often called the millennial reign of Christ. So Paul says, brethren here, so he's talking to Christians, different than some of his aspects in his first letter, but specifically, brethren, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, um, there's two different aspects of this second coming, separated by a period of time. So when we look at the totality of scriptures, we see a couple of things that distinguish these two separate events. One are there are completely different world conditions at the time. There are different descriptions, biblically, of Jesus' return or characteristics of those returns, and there's different predictions concerning dates and times. I don't mean naming a date and time when it's going to happen, but it, it does, scripturally, at least one phase of that, one aspect of that. So I'm going to give you a lot of information in a short amount of time. You note-takers might like this, but I encourage you to just write down these references because I think it'll help you later. And um, maybe in your growth groups, but maybe even just trying to put this together in, in your head later. I, I hope it'll be helpful. Um, so I want you to get the idea of two, two, one event, two separate portions of that event separated from time. So different conditions going on in the world at that time. I'm going to read you some scriptures. Again, I encourage you to jot down the references. But Matthew chapter 24 is where the first section is. And verses 37 through 42 in this first section. And it begins in verse 37, But as the day of, days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. So life as usual, right? They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Verse 39, So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Life as usual. They didn't know until it happened. Then, 
Matthew 24, verses 40 through 42, it, it continues and says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. Nothing remains on the prophetic timeline before that event takes place. Now, completely different conditions. Also in Matthew chapter 24, the 21st verse says this. For then, when this second phase of this event happens, there will be great tribulation, such as, not, um, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall there ever be. And then Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. It says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. So suddenly there's equality. All of them hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That sounds like different events, doesn't it? So listen to the, the differences now in the way the Bible describes the manner of his return. The first is what we read a couple of weeks ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think it's verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Second and very different, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Don't want to get into the argument, but you guys who wonder if animals are in heaven... We know there will be white horses. So, Tina, definitely not. <laughs> and who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Uh, go to verse 14, 14 and 15. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Again, the whole tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. So, poured out on the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. Um, down a little further to verse 21. It says, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So major differences, the third thing I said was concerning the date, or being able to predict the when of when this happens. So speaking of his return of the church, or the gathering up, Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only concerning uh, the second coming with his church. Uh, I encourage you to read the book of Daniel, but specifically 
Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And from that time of the daily sacrifices taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. Paul will talk about that a little bit in the chapter that we're in today. But it's throughout Daniel, and Jesus talks about this abomination of desolation, which occurs halfway through the tribulation period. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But it says, From that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, three and a half years. So from the date of the abomination of desolation, you can count 1,290 days, and that is the second coming of Jesus when he comes back to rule and reign. So totally different. No one knows the day or the hour, and then here it is to the date. So two aspects of the second coming separated by time. Um, again, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. I believe that's talking about two separate things there. And, and verse 2 says, Not soon to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, or as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, like they missed it. Again, their fear was that they had somehow missed the kingdom. And it looks like from this that that was generated either by spirit or by word or by letter, like somebody had written a letter representing that it was from Paul or from the apostles saying this. You know, hey guys, you missed the boat. The kingdom's been set up. And um, I, don't, I don't think any of us would look around and think, oh, we must be in the millennial reign right now. You know, but the, the, that was their fear. As if it was from us, as if this thing came from us, he says. So they're fearing that they are in that time of judgment, that God's wrath is going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And just like a good parent, you guys are good parents. You, you don't say to your kids, oh, don't worry. Or don't worry because I said so. And just leave it at that, right? Paul gives them information. He tells them why. Gives them knowledge because information and knowledge can alleviate worry. So the Thessalonians, however, were just like some of us. Right? When things are bad, really, really bad, they're, they're never going to get better. Right? We focus sometimes on the bad. And when we do that, the bad is all that we see. And when things are good, this is too good to be true. It's not going to last. Right? It's not going to stay like this. So Paul says, I'm going to give you guys three pieces of information or, or things that will identify when the Great Tribulation is really here. So if you see these things, then you'll know that this is that time. And I'll tell you, I just yesterday listened to a pastor um, that, that said all of these things are the things that have to happen before Jesus comes back. And it's completely false. It's a, it's a false teaching. So these are not precursors to that time. They're marks of identification of that time. Okay? So Paul says in verse 3, let no one deceive you. People that would say otherwise, don't let them deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, Verse 4 says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So first he says, That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. It's interesting. It doesn't just say there will be a falling away or there will be a departure or there, some of your Bibles might say apostasy. Um, but it says the, and it's a specific event. And there's lots and lots of opinions on what he's talking about here. And there's reason why there's lots and lots of opinions on what Paul's talking about here is because honestly, we don't really know for sure. I know I'm not supposed to say that. But, and I'll tell you, as someone who's personally convinced of a pre-tribulation rapture, I would love to be able to say, as I've heard a lot of pastors say, that the idea of, can you go back to verse 3, that day will not come unless the falling of away comes first. I've heard that taught several times, that that's speaking of the rapture of the church. There's like a very slight linguistic chance that that could be so but it's doubtful when you actually dig into this and see what it is saying um the falling away is it translated any any of your bibles as apostasy okay yeah several of you guys um so apostasy when we think of the meaning of that or or we look at how else it's translated the same words used in acts chapter 21, verse 21, and and there it's translated as forsake. When you look at the uh, Septuagint, which is the the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, every incidence that we see of that word used there is always used negatively, always implies something sinful, something negative. That doesn't sound like the rapture of the church to me. I wish it was, because it'd be an awesome proof text to say, see? But I, I, I don't think that's what it's saying. But it's talking about something very specific. If it doesn't just say a falling away, it says the falling away, right? It's a, it's a big deal. So hard-pressed to say dogmatically that that's the rapture of the church. But I also don't think it's a general departure. I, again, I think it's... A big deal. If you look at uh, Pew Research Center or things like that, the Christian church has been shrinking for a long time. Right? There is a, a continual departure from the faith, not just in America, but across the globe. And, but this certainly could be the result of the absence of the church. Right? If the church departs, if the church is raptured, and the church is gone... Think about that for a minute. The influencing factor that we have in this world. Who, who would care about marriage anymore if the church is gone? Who would care about sexual purity? Who would resist abortion? Who would fight for morality? Uh, you guys know we are called to be salt and light in the world. And you guys have heard that explained a million different ways. But basically what it means is that we are to be influencers in this world in which that we live. As Christians, we read last week a description of things that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a joyful people. We're supposed to be 
um, sounding forth the word of God, but primarily we're supposed to influence this world that we live in. So this church in Thessalonica, you remember, did just that. In the first letter, we're told that the word of God sounded forth from them, from, from the people of the church, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but across the world. So they certainly were influencers. So without the church in the world, there will be a great falling away. There will be several that, that will turn away from Jesus. So there will be a great falling away. These, you'll know this is that time because you'll see that. Number two, the man of sin will be revealed. And I don't, I don't know what your Bible say for the man of sin. Um, possibly the man of lawlessness, possibly antichrist. Some of your translations say that. Some of them might say the beast. Um, here he's also called, same verse, the son of perdition. Or uh, destruction, perhaps, the son of destruction. That is not intended, that last part, son of destruction, it's not intended to be a descriptor of his character or his mission. Certainly that is part of the mission of the Antichrist, to destroy, kill, destroy, and steal, right? But here it's specifically used to talk about his destiny, that he's, he's going to be destroyed in the end by Jesus. So it's interesting to me that Jesus actually used that same title for Judas. You remember that? Identified him as the son of perdition. So we read about Antichrist, the beast, this guy in the book of Revelation. We read about him particularly in the book of Daniel. I think we get the most of our information. But Paul tells us in verse 4 that he, um, if we can go to verse 4, that he opposes and he exalts himself above all that is called God or that is to be worshipped. He'll sit in the temple as God, showing himself that he is God. And this is, that event is what Daniel and later Jesus refer to as the abomination of desolation. So the holy temple, the Jewish temple, in order for this to happen, will have to be rebuilt, right? Will have to exist. And I want you to think about, I don't know how much you guys know about the Middle East and, and all of that and the Dome of the Rock where this temple should be built. Anybody know what's there now? Yeah, it is the holy site for Islam, right? And there's blasphemies written on the side of that about God, about Jesus, not begotten. All of that, and think about the miracle that will have to occur for someone to rise up and to make things all better so that the Jews are allowed to rebuild the temple before they can ever get to this place where um, sacrifices are reestablished. And then that the, the Antichrist would go in, not just to the temple, but into the Holy of Holies, the place that represented the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was, and to go in there and declare himself God and demand the worship of the world, not just the Jews. This isn't a thing he's just going to go in and desecrate the Jewish temple, but he's going to go in and demand that the Muslims worship him, that the Krishnas worship him, that the Buddhists worship him. 
anyone left on this world. Imagine the power, influence, and control that one would have to have to make all that happen. And, and the Bible talks about he's going to sign a treaty with Israel, and the first three and a half years of that, it, it will be like a worship service. This miraculous leader is going to come in and change the world and do what nobody has ever been able to do and bring peace to the Middle East and prosperity. And those pesky Christians are out of the way. And then this happens. So, um, verse 5, why don't you go to that? I love that Paul says this. Anybody remember how long Paul was with this church when he planted this church? Three, three Sabbaths, we know that, right? So under a month, because he didn't make it to the fourth Sabbath. But he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you guys these things? So when, when people tell you, oh, don't mess with the book of Revelation, that's for, you know, when you're really, really mature in the Lord or these things don't matter. Paul was with these guys for three to four weeks and he says, hey, don't you remember we talked about this stuff? We went through this. Think, guys. Don't you remember? Verse 6, he says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mastery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I don't want to get into a big sidetrack, but any, have any of you been taught or told that Antichrist isn't a person to be identified, but really more of a system, a system of evil? Or, um, no? Good. Yes? Okay. Yeah, John Calvin was one. John Calvin um, identified it as a, a series of, Popery, not pop, not popery, not the smelly stuff, but the Catholic Church and that whole thing identified it as that. There's tons of quotes of Calvin talking about that, but the Bible is very specific here, more specific in the book of Daniel. Verse 7 tells us, though, that there is someone who's keeping all of this stuff from happening. I feel more like a technical class today. Um, but there's someone that's keeping it all from happening. Satan wants to kick all this off today. You know, he does not want to wait, but he can't, according to this scripture. He can't do this yet because someone is restraining him. Someone is blocking him. Any ideas? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, I absolutely believe it's the Holy Spirit. And I specifically, I believe it's the Holy Spirit doing his work through the church. Because it says, it talks about him departing when, when he's taken out of the way. Now, I don't believe that that means that when the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit's just going to bail. Because when you read about that great tribulation... There will be thousands and thousands, I believe millions of people that actually will come to Christ in that period, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. 
So Holy Spirit, the attributes of God, one of the attributes of God is omnipresence, right? But I think there will be a significant departure of a very specific work that the Holy Spirit does through his people, right? We are the temple of the Lord. We're the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when the influencing factor of the church is removed, that restraining peace will be removed. Um, the Holy Spirit will no longer be restraining. But he won't depart in full. Check out Revelation 19 if you want to read more. I won't go into that now. Um, but needless to say, um, Jesus will kill him and deliver him to his destiny of destruction with the breath of his mouth. Simply a word. So verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So there's actually going to be miracles performed. And people are going to see these miracles and because of these miraculous things be convinced that this is the Messiah or be convinced that this isn't wrong, this isn't bad. But it says, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, people will be attracted to the power and people will be attracted to the signs and the, the miraculous things, but they're all be lies from Satan. So a political ruler, uh, someone of global influence, these lying wonders will turn those that are deceived away from God and to him. And that may be part of the falling away uh, as he demands worship. So Paul was giving them information so that they wouldn't panic. He's giving us information so that we won't panic. So that if we begin to experience persecution and trials, which the Bible says that we will, that it doesn't mean that we've missed the kingdom, right? Uh, he's giving us markers for those that are left behind to read later and to know this is what's happening. Details so that they will know. We'll know now and they'll know later that they don't have to panic that God actually has a plan. And God knows everything that's happening now and he knows everything that will happen then. And he knows what he's going to do about it. And we can know what he's going to do about it. So, three indicators to know. Note takers, this will be easier. There'll be a great rebellion, right? That's the first one. Great departure. Number two, the man of sin will be revealed. There will be no guessing or speculation as to who Antichrist is. He'll actually be revealed. And the restrainer, I believe the Holy Spirit, will be removed. So uh, verse 10 says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Are we in a world that loves the truth? Some, there's a remnant, right? We love the truth. I'm so grateful for the truth. The truth provides clarity and comfort. But we're in a world where people aren't interested in truth. Truth radically changes their lives. And, and it goes on here, verse 11, I'm sorry. It says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And sadly, this is such an accurate description of the time in which we live. People want to embrace the lie, do things how they want to do things, believe what they want to believe. 
enforce their own morality, especially on others. Verse 12 says that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Hang with me just another minute. I know it's warm in here, but we're almost done because I want you to see this next part. If you didn't hear anything else or get anything else or it's mumbo-jumbo or it doesn't matter because it's happening later, do you know why God chose to save you? Have you ever thought about that? We read about preselection and all this stuff, but here it says, verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. So you that are saved, this applies to you. Chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. But why my little restrained rock and roller over here? Why did God choose Jim? It's a great question. Have you wondered it? Have you pondered it? I, I, not Jim, I know He's a good man. He's better than me. But I, I've wondered that question. Verse 14. Check this out. And this is truth, okay? Not what any deceiver would tell you in your mind or cause doubt. Verse 14 says, To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God chose to save you to bring glory to Jesus. Wait, what? God chose to save you to bring glory to Jesus. I mean, my case, probably he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I get the application. But think about that. Regardless of what you think of yourself or what lies you might believe or what condemnation the enemy might heap on you, God selected you from before the beginning of the time, before the foundations of the earth, Christians, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. That's radical. You don't have to back up. But if you back up a verse where it talks about sanctification, that process from the moment of justification until glorification, that process of making us more like Jesus... That's what brings glory to him. Living our lives out, doing the things that he's commanded us. But I want you to understand that. I want you to remember that. Again, if you forget everything else, you don't have to believe the same way I believe about eschatology. But this is stated in the scriptures. You need to know this, that Jesus Christ, God saved you to bring glory to Jesus through your life. That's why he chose you and maybe he didn't choose somebody else. Live the life you're called to live. Verse 15. Therefore, brethren and sistren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Hold to the things, hold to the scriptures. 
that we poured into you, whether by word or our epistle, this letter. Now, verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. Amen to that. So listen, last thing. Will you guys pray with me? Um, certainly I want to pray that the Lord will give application to this in your heart. And regardless of what you think or believe about yourself, that truth, truth will override that. And that you'll meditate on that this week. That the Lord saved you to bring glory to Jesus Christ. But I want to take time. You guys that are on the prayer vine already know this, but Wayne and Megan Stanchel, their little girl was born, Priscilla, in Boston. She has a heart condition, for those that don't know. And she's scheduled to have surgery tomorrow morning. And she's first on the list, so hopefully she won't be bumped. Friday, they thought they were going to do it, and then didn't. So corporately, I want to pray for this little girl. Will you do that with me? Okay. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that we can do this, that we can gather together. Lord, you tell us in your word that where two or three gathered, you're actually in our midst, that you're here. Lord, we know that you've observed and heard the things that have happened here today. Lord, that you've received our praise and our worship. Lord, that you've taught us. But Father, we want to intercede on behalf of little Priscilla and her mom and dad. Your word says that you are the God of all flesh and nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, we believe that. And Lord, we ask that you would save this little girl to bring glory to your son Jesus. We ask that you'd give these doctors wisdom, that you would uh, control their instruments and decisions, and Lord, that you would use them to heal her little heart. And Lord, we're asking this together, and we're praying in the name of Jesus that you would do this, please. Lord, may your will be done. Lord, thank you for the warming temperatures today. Please uh, help those that are still dealing with um, frozen pipes and broken stuff, that that would all come together. We thank you, Lord, for our gathering. In Jesus' name, amen.